media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. I'll go ahead and just share this since several people have already asked this morning. Are you not feeling good? I think I'm a little bit more low-key this morning. Uh, not feeling very well. Uh, nothing contagious or anything like that. I think just, uh, uh, but all is well. <laughs> but I, I didn't want people to think that I wasn't excited about God's word this morning. I'm very excited, but it may be a little bit more low-key than, than usual. Um, I don't know, maybe not. Uh, <laughs> also, I, I did hear some people mention that, you know, because the chairs are new, they're a little bit, you know, they're firmer than the other ones. And so don't, you know, if you want to get a little Pentecostal, a little uh, charismatic and, you know, bounce a couple times, we'll break them in really well this morning over the next couple of weeks. But Ephesians chapter 4. I think most of us would agree that there's uh, sometimes a great disparity between theory and reality. Uh, you know, we have those moments that in theory, when you're planning something out, it just sounds really good. Uh, I've actually done this several times uh, with my family where, you know, you're looking on a long trip and you're going, you know, that evening pl- flight that leaves at this particular place at 1035, you know, at night, we'll sleep on the plane. Have you ever told yourself that you're going to sleep on the plane? And yeah, let's just get the red eye and we'll sleep on the plane. And you would think now after about three times of trying to do that and not getting any sleep whatsoever, that I would be convinced that, you know, you you can't sleep on a plane. It's just almost impossible. And yet I'll probably fall for it again. Others, sometimes we come upon advertising uh, and you look at the, the advertisement and the reality is different. There's actually, uh, this is the ad for, for the, somebody actually went out and took pictures. And this is the ad for a certain taco place in, in town that's famous. And then the reality. And you might say, well, you know, there's not much difference. It's still a taco. Yeah, it's still a taco. But what they take a picture of, and there's professional people that do nothing but food presentation. It's kind of really cool that, you know, what do you, I'm a food photographer. Can you imagine that you can make a really good living doing that? But they're excellent at what they do. And so they get everything staged right, just right. Uh, the next one there, you know, just, you know, you, you, you've got... You know, that's what I wanted, but this is what I got. You almost sometimes feel like you want to go back. Uh, next one there, up there. That's kind of what it comes out to. We're not trying to pick on any particular food group or any particular place, but you know, we're just trying to say, okay, here's what we were expecting and here's the reality. It's the next one there. This is actually what's supposed to be a rice bowl, a chicken rice bowl. And if you notice in the reality, there was really no rice. And I can't figure out, you know, how they messed that one up. It's the next one there. It doesn't, it's not just food. Sometimes <laughs> little kids are, you know, have nightmares about that. But it doesn't happen just with food. It happens in all things in life. Have you ever got a Christmas tree and that was the picture, so you took it home, you put it together, and by that time you're invested. I mean, when you've taken it home and you've already kind of fluffed it out as much as it's going to go, but the, that is actual, actually the tree that came from that box. Have you ever been on vacation and you went and you signed up on that picture, then you got there, and that, was, that is actually, again, the, the same place. Uh, they kind of cut out everything that you see there 
just so that they could give you that picture. I think that might be the last one. Is there? Ah, we can just stay right there. Uh, you're going, yeah. <laughs> Theory and reality. <laughs> I didn't see that one coming. Again, my mind's not working really quickly this morning. Now, when we have, but we can stay right there because we're going to work that in. You know, this theory and reality thing is something that it sounds good in theory. You know, we really do excite it. We really do believe it. And then the reality is we find out that it's just either a, a not what it was seemed to be or it's just a lot tougher. For example, marriage vows. I mean, who could say that, you know, the marriage vows, when you've taken those marriage vows, that that's not something that is wonderful and good and that we would think, you know, I take thee, Carly, to be my lawful wedded wife, to, to have and to hold from this day forward, to, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. And yet in our mind, in the theory of that, we're thinking more health than sickness. We're thinking more richer than poor. We're thinking of the upside of that, and that's good, to be positive and then think of those things. And then when the reality of life hits and the reality of marriage hits, we find out, hey, this is a lot tougher. There's a difference between the theory of these things and the reality of these things. Well, do you know churches are kind of the same way? In one way, we can be very theoretical about our theology. We can be very theoretical about a lot of things that we deeply believe in, and they're all true. And because they're of God, they are good things. And yet the reality of living those out is sometimes very, very difficult. Um, To paint a picture and to promise one thing, and yet, you know, the reality being something different. Uh, Years ago, there was a church outside of Alabama, and they were known as the Church That Loves. Well, can you imagine, is that a good kind of quote for a church? Is that kind of a good thing, a church that loves? Would you want to be a part of a church that loves? Do you see the problem with that being their moniker, that being kind of, okay, the first person who feels unloved, well, they didn't love me. And all of a sudden we find out there's a difference between the theory of saying something, even if it's something that's rock solid, biblical, and good, and then trying to live it out. Whether it's the marriage vows, whether it's a hot dog at Dairy Queen, or whether it's what we say about the church. Paul wrote to a lot of different churches. And when he wrote to the Ephesians, he followed a model that he had used with a lot of the other churches. In the first part of the letters, he would always deal with doctrine, and he would always deal with theology. And so you get a lot of things that are just based in the truth of what has happened in Christ. And then, as he would close out the letter, usually the second half, he'd get very practical. And he would use this word, therefore. All these things are true, therefore, go live this way. And what Paul is doing, go back and read Ephesians, read Philippians, read Romans, read any of those letters that he wrote to the churches, and you're going to find that model. And it's almost dead center that the first half is theology and doctrine, the second half is this very practical, how do we become the men and the women, the families, the churches that this prescribes? And we often see that Paul addresses the difference between theory and reality. Let me ask you a question this morning. Is the theory of the church, God taking very different people and bringing them together as one body, is the theory of that good? The answer is amen and yes. Yeah. That we're one in Christ? I mean, isn't that kind of exciting? Is the reality of that a strain at times? Yeah, because all of a sudden you have somebody who's maybe very, very different from you. 
And folks, we don't even begin to, I've shared with you many times before, we don't begin to grasp how different the Jew and the Greek was, how different the, the Gentile and the Jew was. And so all of a sudden these people are coming from all these different walks of life, just like we saw last week with the Samaritan woman and Jesus, this Jew, and they're going, why are you even talking to her? She's a Samaritan. And they had these cultural norms and these differences that really were blockades developing uh, a, a company together and a, a cooperation together, and especially a body together. Well, Paul begins to address that, and these people are coming in. They're coming from every walk of life. And he says, okay, all your former identities are now overshadowed by one identity. Who do you think that one identity is? Christ. He said, you have a lot of differences. You come and you, you know, you, uh, Gentile and, and Jew. You, you have people that have been in, uh, uh, slavery and, and these others that have been the masters, so to speak. And Paul uses those terms that were relevant in those days. And he says, and yet now they're coming in from all these different walks of life and you have a new identity that binds you together. Now, in theory, is that something that's really, really good? that all your old identifiers are gone and you have this one identifier, which is Christ Jesus, and now that what you have in common far surpasses anything that would give difference. Is that a good theory? It's kind of cool. Is it hard to live that reality out? Yeah, we see it all the time. So, folks, we don't even see it just within a church. We see it among churches. Somebody said last week, said, do you know that 12 stone is making my, they're going to be starting a new church? Then? I said, yes. And they're going, you like that? I said, we have so many lost people around us. We need every church that we get. Yeah, but they're just a lot different. I said, but God's a really big God. Guys, we're not in competition with people that are truly preaching, you know, a kingdom in, in, in the Bible. They're preaching the kingdom in the Bible and the gospel. They may do it a little bit differently. They may do it a lot differently. But if the basis is the word of God and the hope of Christ, you know, maybe you won't go there. Maybe I won't go there. But aren't you glad to have more partners reaching lost people with the hope of Jesus Christ? I mean, they may look at us and say, man, here's the things that why I would never go to your church. I mean, what pastor doesn't want every single person in the community to come to their church? They're at that church because they love that church. But there's going to be differences, guys. Theory sounds really good. We're just one band of Christian, this Christian army, onward Christian soldiers. And in reality, we're fighting each other, guys. The soldiers, you know, instead of being one band of soldiers fighting evil, and the things that would tear us apart, we just turn the, our armory on, on each other. It's just not biblical, it's not right. But I understand it. So open to Ephesians chapter 4 and look at verse 1. And it's either going to be the, the first word or in some of your translations, like the ESV, it's going to be the second word. And he says what? I therefore. In other words, he's talked in the first three chapters, doctrine, theology, and given us all this basis of Jesus Christ. Now he says, okay, here's how you live it out. Here's how you put this into actual practice. Look what he says. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk. Anytime you see the word walk in the Bible, 99% of the time, it's not talking about this kind of walk. It's, talking, it's a synonym for life, doing life, living life. 
So when it says to walk in the Lord, it means to live your life in the more, in the Lord. So he says, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now I want you to break that down because I want you to understand that Paul says, okay, Here's the theology of how you become a Christian in the first three chapters. And this is who you are now. This is your identity in Christ. And so he very much has covered that in the first three chapters. Now he says, here's how you go live it out. And look what he says. He says, number one, you become a prisoner of the Lord. Does that sound good? In theory, it does. Do you ever put up a fight and the Lord wants you to do something and you don't really like being a prisoner? You like to be the one in control? I mean, does anybody have control issues with God or am I the only one? You know? I mean, it's one of those difficult things. It sounds great and it's right. It's true. So we're not saying that we're denying the rightness of this call. What we're saying is, man, that even sounds good. But you know, the reality is that's really hard. I'm agreeable with God everything that he's agreeable with me on. But the minute that God kind of disagrees or he has a different way, a better way than I do, then all of a sudden, do I really want to be a prisoner of the Lord? But that's what he says here. Look what else he says. Humility, gentleness, and patience. You have to bear with one another in love. And you should be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Not just a peacekeeper, but a peacemaker. He doesn't use those words, but that's what that eagerness stands for. He says you should be eager to be unified together. Not just, okay, I'm going to keep my mouth shut, but inside I'm boiling. Have you ever done that before? You know, I said, I'm keeping the peace. Yeah, where are you making peace? This is what we've been called to, not just to be peacekeepers, but be peacemakers. And this is all through what Christ has done for us, because we have a new identity. Paul paints a picture of all the Jews and the Gentiles becoming one body, and it sounds great in theory, but uh, and in fact, it had already happened theologically. They were, in Christ Jesus, one body. But the reality is, they still kept looking at all their differences. I mean, seriously, look back over those first three verses and tell me what comes more naturally to you. What comes more naturally to you? To be a prisoner or to be the master? The, the one who's taking the orders or the one giving the orders? Okay, look at the second part. Which one comes more naturally? To be humble and patient or to speak your mind? Which one comes more naturally? To bear with one another or to have it your way? See, we all have this nature. It's called human nature. It's a fallen nature. Now we have a new nature in Jesus Christ, and it is the overwhelming. It saves us from all of our sin. But not only does it save us from our sin, but it begins to transform the way that we live our lives. And that's what Paul is saying. Therefore, because all these theological truths, because now your identity is not in who you are, but in Jesus Christ, now act this way. This is your calling and act like you're calling. Does that make sense? I mean, look at the last one there. Eager to maintain unity, or would you say that you're more eager to have things of your own preference? I mean, one of the greatest inventions in my lifetime has been QT. 
I can go in there. I don't want just regular Coke. I don't want this. I want, you know, and you can make whatever you want. And we've taken that consumer mentality so oftentimes, and we've applied it to every area of life. Believe it or not, we've applied that to the church. I said one time that, you know, people were, you know, people always have different thoughts on, I wish we would sing hymns every week. I wish we would sing courses every week. Some would say, I don't like those 7-Eleven songs. You know, all the different things, the same seven words 11 times. You know, it's, uh, people have all kinds of opinions. Guys, really think through this. Think through this. Would it be better when we did the renovation of the sanctuary, things like they have on Delta and the other planes, and everybody gets their own screen, and then everybody put their headphones on for the first 15 minutes of the service, and you pick your songs. Well, I'm going to do that one. I love the cathedrals, and I'm going to pick that one. I'm going to do somebody else pick this. Would that be good? No. It'd be satisfying. Whatever mood we're in, whatever need we have, whatever kind of preference we would have, it would serve who? Self. One of the most humbling things we can do, guys, one of the most amazing things that we can do is that we come together and we go and we become one body that doesn't have preferences that outshine the uniqueness of one calling in one body. Oh, you're going to love this song, but you may not care for that song. But if it's one Lord and one salvation, Paul says at that point, he says, this is why you come together. One of the greatest exercises that we do each week is sing from a variety of different things. Why? Because we're singing to him. We're not singing to us, guys. It's not about us. And Paul states that 2,000 years ago. It's not about us. Now, I tell you that because, not because we have a problem here. I mean, I really haven't heard that in our church. I'll never forget, there's, uh, they've moved away, unfortunately, the clouds. And uh, Mr. Cloud was sitting right over there one day, and, and I could tell that we were doing a song that morning that uh, that probably wasn't in his genre, Rick. You know, that just probably wasn't. And I'll never forget, you know, I saw him, I was sitting over there, and, and I said, Doyle, you know, you didn't like that song? Well, that's not really my favorite song, but it's not about me. I said, you are my hero, buddy. You get it. You get it. And that's what Paul's saying. That's just one example. That's not to, to lay a heavy on you guys, because, again, we really haven't had that problem in this church. You know, again, I know that you still would probably select your own three if just given your own lifestyle and all that. But you get it, pretty much. Paul was trying to make sure that they were coming from this mindset. I mean, let's go back to marriage. Let's think about that. The theory of it and then the reality of it. And the theory of it says that the two, biblically, that what? The two become... Is that not romantic? Is that not spiritually just a great thing isn't that kind of overwhelming and amazing in so many different levels that two become one yes I know some of y'all are like I don't know (laughs) has it been easy that the two become one have you at times had to become 
I hate this word prisoner or master. That's just what he uses there. But I want to be the master rather than prisoner. I, I want to speak my mind rather than being humble and patient. I, I want my way rather than Carly's way. So this two become one is great in theory. The picture of it is amazing. The reality of it is really, really tough. And without a transforming of my mind and my heart, which is what the Holy Spirit does when we mature in Christ, it's not going to happen, guys. It's not going to happen. So there's the reality. You can take church. You can take marriage. You can take all these different things. I mean, men, think about it. It sounds great for a husband to say, I'm going to love my wife as Christ loved the church. But how many of us die to our own pride? How many of us die to our own will? How many of us die to our own preference or our own needs? What a challenge. Theoretically, it sounds great. I want to love my wife like Christ loved the church. That's the call, Ephesians 5. Go look at it. That's the call, Christian husband. And yet the reality of that means this is the transforming things that have to happen for this to actually take place. So you just don't have the bumper sticker or the little badge, but that you're actually living it out. To become one sounds great until you have to live it out, until you have to begin to uh, see what God was trying to do. I'm still satisfied after 38 years of marriage, 41 years of ministry, that marriage is the most sanctifying challenge of my life. And the fact that God has done more to mature me through two trying to become one than almost anything else that I can imagine. Parenting was pretty close. But but just to take this will and to submit it, to be humble, these patient, all these different things that he used there, it's been a real challenge. And yet, do you know that that's by design? Carly and I were up here last night and and we were doing one last minute thing and that we wanted to change before this morning. And uh, she is the detail person. If there was fishing string and it was knotted up, I'm going to last. Probably my record would be five seconds. I'm just going to get frustrated with that. If I don't get it to unravel the very first time, I'm done. She could sit there for five hours. I'm not saying she'd enjoy it. She has that kind of patience. She's got that attention to detail, she would just keep on working it. Is it good for her and I to be married? Yes. Yes. That was God's intention, guys. When he says to become one, it's not a minus thing, it's a plus thing. When he says, okay, we're going to be one body, it's not a minus thing. Oh, I have to give up this, give up this. No, it's a plus thing. We get more. Why? Because we're all different and we bring different things to this thing that God calls the church. It's the same mindset that I believe Christ wants us to have through the church. He brings differences to bring balance, maturity, not division. Now again, I don't want anybody to think this one. Has there been like a division in the churches? Y'all are like the most wonderful, peaceful church that I've ever been a part of, okay? So this isn't out of response that, okay, there's a fire brewing. This is just the high call of Christ. And it's because it goes against everything that really we see in our culture and we have in our own human nature right now. And that is the consumerism within each one of us of what we want church to be. And so with all that kind of going one way, that we see the direction of the Bible kind of pushing us the other way. 
why am I preaching that this morning? Not because there's division in the church, not because I've even heard anybody complain or anything. No, if we're going to reach this community, guys, we have to take this thing called theory and bring it into reality. And the only way that happens, the only way that happens is through the spirit of the living God. He's the only one that can transform this mind that wants to be master and say, no, you become servant. Would you agree with that in your own right? That the only way that you're going to come from this, I want to rule, to I want to serve, it's not just becoming a better person, but it's because of the work of Christ. You know, that's why the Bible begins to call the, when it illustrates the church, it uses the physical body. Some are hands, some are feet, some are eyes, some are ears, some are noses, but we're one body. Look what he wrote to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. For the body does, verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. If the ear should say, "Bless, uh, because I'm not an eye, I, I don't belong to the body. That would not make any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would, the sense, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? The Bible says, and who designed the church this way? God did. I mean, some of you may have come to, to this church in this particular place because of this or that or the other. I promise you, if you've come spirit-led and you truly have come uh, led by God's spirit, then very much you're here by that design and for that purpose. And so God brings together different people for different things. In fact, go down to uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 18 through 20. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, what would the body be? As it were, there are many parts, yet one body. That's why I love diversity in the church. You turn your bulletin over, there's kind of the final product of a mission statement and a vision statement and the things that we highly value. And one of the things that we highly value here at CS is diversity, just different peoples of different walks of life. I know diversity kind of takes on a little bit of a racial kind of mindset in the day and age that we live, but diversity is on every level. It's age diversity, it's background diversity. Uh, race and background would just be one part of many, many different things. I love the diversity of the church. Why? Because I think that each one of them shows the miracle of Christ. That all of us that would come from different backgrounds, diverse backgrounds, and we come together for what? for the purpose of praising God and reaching this community for Christ. Now let's go back to Ephesians. Ephesians 4, look at verse 4. Paul says, There is one body and one spirit. Little s or big s? What does that mean? The Holy Spirit. This is not us just trying to get along. This is holy God calling us, forming us, diverse people, different preferences into what he has called us to do. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to be the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. 
What's the word that you see repeated there? Seven times. Do you think God has a purpose in that? One body, one Lord, one spirit, one faith, one hope, one baptism, one God. You've heard me say this before. It's worth repeating. What binds us together, folks, is bigger than anything that would ever separate us. It's the beauty of the church. It's the beauty of the church worldwide, the collective body of Christ. It's the beauty of Cornerstone, each individual church. This one, if you go down the road, that church and this church, that God is working his good call through the local body, that we would be one. But our very nature is to be one all by ourselves. And why we would certainly come up with a list of things that could separate us Paul is saying, look at the greater thing that that brings you together. I mean, numerically today, how many different opinions do you think that we would have in this room? Yeah. If we, let's just say that, let's just say that we have 110 people here this morning. We probably have 150 opinions about one thing, because some of you have varying opinions, even within yourself. And you're not satisfied with one thing. But, you know, uh, some people, different backgrounds, some people dress up for Sunday. Some people come very casually. Some people are quiet and reverent in their worship. Other people more expressive in their worship. Uh, some people like hymns. Some people like courses. Some people like short sermons. Some, no, everybody likes short sermons. We do have one thing that we have in common. We all like short sermons. But even if we could come up with a thousand things that separate us, what Paul is saying that because when he's emphasizing this one spirit and this unified thought process, he says what God does is he brings you together that all this diversity and all these differences now are collectively make you what you are, one body. Can you imagine the first potluck suppers in the New Testament church? I mean, the Jewish guys, do I wear the yarmulke or not? I don't know. Are they going to be offended if I wear this? I mean, those Gentiles, they're bringing in, they're bringing in ham, bacon, and barbecue. You know that that's what they're bringing. And the Jewish people, we we don't eat that. Can you imagine the diversity that they had? And yet, what do we see in Acts for the most part? Not the perfect church, but because it's an imperfect people. But we see the church growing day by day. It says that one day, 3,000 people added to the church that day. Is that amazing? Is it because they all just kind of decided that they wanted to have community together? Or do you think that God's call upon their lives and their new identity in Jesus Christ gave them a bigger picture of who they were than they had previously? This is the miracle of the New Testament church, guys. What binds us together is far greater than anything that could ever separate us. Let me ask you a question. What if in theory of what Paul was saying actually happened in reality? Do you know if people would want to go to that church where people were truly other-centered and humble and patient and kind and bearing with one another and, and serving one another? Do you think that the community around us would be attracted to that? I mean, when I was driving out of our subdivision today, I know I'm passed by. And again, it's early, so maybe they're just doing their walk right now. 
and uh, they're going to go shower up and go into church. I mean, many of them could do that. But, I mean, we pass a whole bunch of people coming to church every Sunday that may not go to church. And if you began to ask people, why don't you go to church? How many of you think that their their answer in simplicity would be, I just don't believe in God? There'd be some. But how many do you think would say something along the lines of, well, I went to church before, but here's what I found. Hypocrites, people that hurt me, they did this, that, and the other. You know, the laundry list of different things. I have a sadness for that. I'm not making less of the hurt. I don't make less of the hypocrisy that they might say, but I want to make much of Christ because that's what Paul is doing. He's dealing with sinners who have been saved and now are maturing and hopefully transforming with this mindset that we are one body. You see, a very important part of the vision team was not just, okay, what color can we paint this and do we like this carpet and what are the plans for the future? Part of the vision team was really, what what does the church look like today? What does it look like uh, 20 years from now? What is the mission of the church? What's the vision of the church? And so they worked on that, and, and along with the elders, and, and looking at that, and what you see on that back page of your bulletin is, is a modification of some of the things that we already truly believed in. Uh, sometimes it's, it's a brand new thing um, of you know ver- verbalizing it in a different way, but this is our heartbeat. This is what we truly want to refer to as our, our cornerstone DNA. This is who we are. And when you read over those things, those aren't just words. They can be theory. The challenge is to make those a reality. For example, we love expository preaching, which I haven't done in two weeks as far as book by book. and all that. I'm going from the Word, so I consider that expository. But at the same time, we're used to just taking a book of the Bible and starting here and finishing there. Why? Because that's important. Because that's just convenient. So we can look up what he's going to preach next week. No, I believe that the best way that we can have this uh, training, this transformation of the mind, is through the power of God's word. And that we can understand it and apply it better when we methodically go chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Doesn't make us unique. Doesn't make us special. We just believe that's what we're called to do. And you can look down those different things there. I'm not going to go over every one of them. Just preach that probably five or six months ago. I just want you to know, guys, this is the DNA that we believe God has called this church to. And now you can be a part of that. You can be part of that mindset, that unity. And theory sounds great. In actual practice, it's sometimes hard. The good news is that God has already given us the source of how to make that work, his very spirit. I've got more. I'm not going to say more. Let me speak from a pastor's heart. One of the best churches ever been in. I told you a couple weeks ago, I've been blessed. We've been blessed with four wonderful churches. People that just loved us, and we loved them. The beauty of this church, guys, is, is, is never going to be about a building. It's never going to be about this, that, and the other. The beauty of the church is that when we can authentically live out this, in, in reality, this high calling that God has placed upon us. 
And that's where we need one another to do that. That's where I need accountability from you. I, I, I mess up the scripture. As I told you a couple of weeks ago, man, if you don't call me on that, shame on you. Because that's part of the responsibility. We can see that kind of relationship as being something very helpful or very hurtful. But if you go back and look at those first four verses of Ephesians 4, when he says, therefore, live this out, he talks about patience, humility, bearing with one another. Do you think to become that kind of church where we are accountable to one another, where we love one another, we're serving one another, and we want to see that, you know, the uh, transforming power of Christ and, and working in us, do you think it's going to take patience and humility and bearing with one another? I promise you it will. Why? Because we're very different. And every one of us kind of want to be the the master instead of the the servant. Every one of us want to kind of have our own preference instead of somebody else's preference. We will fight that. And just like in marriage, for some of you that have been married 40, 50, 60 years, you're still fighting it today. The two become one, a beautiful picture. Wonderful in theory, and yet a lifetime to achieve that. But hopefully day by day by day by day. I mean, this beautiful wife that I have. I'm sure glad God said to become one. And this is what our neighbors, what do we have to offer, guys? to a community of people out there, saved and not saved, churched and unchurched. We have one thing, the hope of Jesus Christ. That doesn't make us different from every other church. I hope that makes us like every other church. I hope every one of us truly, every church in this area can do that. Are we going to do church differently than other churches? Yeah, because God has called that. Do you see that in the scripture? He even calls for diversity within one church. Well, Pastor, why, why did you preach this? Why, why this this morning? Because here's our hope, guys. And here's the hope that we can give to this community. When God begins to transform you in your maturity, and you become more and more that picture of Christ, more and more that picture that we see in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, and those elements, and he begins to work in your heart and your life, we won't be able to keep people. But when we live that authentically, guys, what an attraction. What an attraction to people in our community that we're just looking for authentic believers. And at the end of the day, that's my desire, is that we would just be authentic believers, serving the most marvelous, high and mighty God that there is. And that we would do it out of extreme love, great humility, great patience, bearing with one another. Let's pray this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for the hope that's Christ. Father, all this again sounds good theoretically, Father, for us to to be this sweet body of believers. And I, I believe that we are, Father. It's amazing at Cornerstone and other churches I've been, Father, you've just surrounded Carly and I with such sweet fellowships of, of believers. But Father, today we, we live in a community where there are so many hurts and so many people that, that don't want to enter a church because of past hurts. 
And we can do very little about the past, but Father, we can do a whole bunch about the future. Will you develop here, Father, authentic believers that humble themselves are here to serve this community and, Father, go out and, and truly want to share this hope of Christ with everyone they meet. Father, will you develop that within us? That's the church that we want to be. And, Father, we can only do it through your strength and for, through your help. So we love you and we thank you. Now, Father, call us and help us to follow as we pray all this in the hope that is Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.